Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Caraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. Hashtag full squad here. Lavender Gooms is here. Hello. DJ Marcus here. Greetings. And Kid Presentables here. Man, I, I just wanted to believe in Mr. Ortega. I just really wanted to believe. You know what? I was reading all these people saying that, like, um, you know, Brian Ortega earned our respect. And I was like, who was lacking respect for him? Like, who's sitting here like, I need to see this man get hit in the face 300 fucking times before I respect him as a fighter? Like, respect was there already, people. You're just an asshole. You know? <laughs> like, is there some people out there you thought he was too handsome. Look at this young, handsome kid taking care of the neighborhood children, winning fights impressively. Fuck that guy. There was someone out there who had that opinion. I mean, literally, I, when I saw him walking around Vegas, I said, oh, man, there's Ryan Ortega, followed by the eternal thought of, it's a handsome motherfucker. <laughs> like, I, uh... I watched the Lomachenko fight this weekend, so I'm gonna have some questions about to you guys about uh the Brian Ortega fight because I saw he absorbed about 300 plus significant strikes. So I got some questions to you guys about that corner. Oh, you on. know what? Yeah, we can. I mean, I think the doctor did them, did everybody a favor, so we didn't have to have some uncomfortable conversations because it kind of got stopped when it needed to get stopped. Um, okay. But uh, did Lomachenko put on a clinic? Just out of curiosity. I haven't watched that many Lomachenko fights. Um, all I hear about is that he has, uh, you know, the footwork of, uh, you know, the Black Swan bla ballerina in a uh, dance company. Dude's just technically and, uh, sound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like from what people were talking about, he didn't use his right as often, I think, because he was uh, afraid of uh, hurting it again because that's where he got the, the shoulder surgery. Yeah. Uh, he didn't make the guy quit. Like he did his previous two opponents, but going into the sixth round and on, he really started to pull away and started to put a clinic on. This is uh, it's uh, boxing azing radio for you guys, by the way. Talking to you a little bit about some of that Lomachenko it is, it action. It is a combat sport. Yeah, um, I'm big Lomachenko fan in general. Um, he's excellent. UFC 231 though, coming to you guys from what I thought was still called the Air Canada Center. It's not called that anymore, huh, Steph? <laughs> um, who did they lose their sponsorship to? Not only did they lose it their sponsorship, the Scotia Bank Arena. Yeah, not only did it become no longer Air Canada, they lost the arena part to. I mean, they lost the center part to an arena. So I uh, learned a little fun fact listening to our local sports radio. Did you know that Staples bought lifetime rights to be the Staples Arena? Uh, Sta is it Staples Arena? Staples Center. Table Center in LA. I mean, I didn't know it was Lifetime, but that's a. It's, they paid a uh, hundred million back in two thousand three to be the Lifetime. So Spables can go out of business, and they will still be the Staples Center. So oh, I find wow. that a yeah, little bit such amazing. a deal. That is so little. I in mean, today's dollars. Well, I mean, that's a lot. I don't think teams are paying that much, to be honest, man. Because I mean, people will need office equipment forever, Mike. Forever. City Field. City Field, uh, the the Mets uh, stadium, it's like twenty mil a year. Yeah, that's and that's, I'm pretty sure that's finite. 
Yeah, well. Um, anyway, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, a fight that was supposed to happen back in July at UFC 226 or 7. I had tickets to this thing. 26, um, <laughs> I think. Um, they went out there, Marcus, and um, I really enjoyed it, despite how one-sided it ended up being, but we really just got to see that as good as Brian Ortega is and he keeps getting better, Max Holloway is still, you know, another level, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the the outcome of this fight wasn't too surprising in that, you know, how it ended. But going into this fight, and even the first time they were supposed to fight, we all knew we had something special on paper, right? Th these two young athletes match up in a very interesting stylistic matchup. And it was going to be a treat to watch this fight, whether it ended in the first round with an Ortega submission or we got what we saw with Max Holloway putting hard pressure on this guy for four rounds. Um, but I think ultimately what we got was, you know, as good a fight as we could imagine. Um, we had a very strongly contested first round where, you know, it took a little while for uh, Max Holloway to get the range and the timing down. Uh, Brian Ortega was doing the same. It was probably the first round was Brian's probably best round where he was able to get Max down for maybe 20 seconds. He could not hold him down, but he got him down. They exchanged it a, a couple strikes. Ortega landed a few. Max Holloway landed more, um, but didn't quite have the power. Because I think when it comes to the stand-up, you know, Max is a fighter that has a lot of output, but not a lot of single power on any one strike. It's accumulation with this guy. And Brian Ortega is kind of the opposite, where he's a guy that can finish you in one strike, like we saw with Frankie Edgar, like we saw when he beat uh, Clay Guida. So we really got a tough fight in this one, a very close first round. Max really came into his own in the second. That's where his his output was the highest, I think. I mean, I actually don't know the numbers. It could, probably could have been like the fourth round probably was his highest output. But that's where you can see Ortega really slow down in the second round. That's where Ortega's nose was busted real bad. There was a lot of blood going on. Um, and, and in that round, it seemed like this fight might not go too many more rounds. Uh, Brian, while he never really got back in the fight where he was leading the fight or he was winning the rounds, in the third round, he came out more aggressive. He was throwing more often. We got back into a competitive fight. I think in the third, it might have been where he was able to get him down for a couple seconds again. Again, couldn't hold Max Holloway down, um, but but still looked very game in the third round. After the second round where he was getting beaten and he was bloodied, it looked like this fight was close to being finished. The third round, you know, uh, Ortega definitely showed that he had a lot of heart. And he still had something to give. He was still throwing hard punches. He was still landing on Max um, throughout the round. Max was just landing a lot more. He was getting better reads on Ortega. Um, and he was just finding the distance. Um, and the fourth round is really where Max kept it on fifth gear, did not let Brian Ortega um, get a second to breathe. And you can see in a lot of those exchanges in the fourth round, Ortega gets in an exchange. He's eating a couple punches. He tries to back up and use head movement to disengage from the encounter and to get some space. And Max is just all on him, just landing more punches while he's walking backwards, while he's trying to use head movement. Um, it was a really masterful performance from Max Holloway. Um, and especially in that fourth round where he started mixing up his strikes a lot less to the head, going to the body more often, which I really think slowed Ortega down, and then using those body punches to set up head punches. I think in that fourth round, he was really putting it all together. I think in the third round, he was head hunting a little bit too much, but... Ultimately, what we got is kind of what we what we broke down uh, last week. You know, I said, and I still believe it today, like Max Holloway is evolving the sport. The way he strikes is at a level that's very different from a lot of the other competitors at his weight class and just in the sport in general. 
But we've seen Brian Ortega is a really skilled guy who has a lot of power and great jujitsu, and he couldn't utilize those factors to much effect in this fight. You know, he did land some punches on Holloway. He definitely rocked him with some shots, but nothing that seriously hurt Max. There, was, there wasn't a lot of exchanges where it looked like a single punch hurt Brian Ortega a lot. It was just an accumulation of just not even getting a second to breathe, not being able to clinch up with Max and get him against the cage and lean on him a little bit. This was pretty much all in free space pretty much the whole time. Max Holloway is just constantly throwing punches at him. Um, and it was just a great performance. And I think besides the takeaway that you have, Max Holloway is a you know genre-defying athlete. He's evolving the sport. Um, the other side of this is that Brian Ortega has the heart of a champion, the heart of a warrior. Um, in that fourth round, Mike, I hope you do get to see this fight because I do think that you know it's 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 gone now. You know the result, but it's worth watching even having knowing the result just because of how fantastic the fight is. Um, and you see in that fourth round, you were talking about you know is this a a back doctor's call or corner call? It really wasn't. In the fourth round, Brian Ortega was just taking a fucking beating, and there was moments where it's like. Maybe we could stop it now. He's against the cage. He's eating punches. But anytime that thought flashed in my head for a moment, that's right when Brian Ortega would throw a couple yeah, more punches. Yeah, Marcus, because um, his face looked bad. Well, here's the thing. Also, like he broke his he broke his uh, nose, and I think he broke his thumb, which is thumb. why some of those elbows were being thrown. Yeah, but here's the thing. I thought people were being a little bit critical of his corner, but my memory, and I know this was like happening while you know. I'm like four beers in and all this shit while I'm watching this thing. But like, I thought Henner was calling the doctor over too. Like, that's what I thought I heard. And people are like, well, why didn't the corner stop it? I'm like, well, the doctor stopped it when I thought it needed to be stopped. Again, Mark, you made a good point. Like, maybe we probably could have like, I mean, this is MMA. The only person I've ever seen throwing a fucking towel is Nick Diaz. Like, and even then it got ignored. Like, you're not supposed to throw in a towel, apparently. Um, So I really thought they handled it well enough. And like, Brian Ortega said he's fine with the stoppage, but he also said he was willing to die in there, which yeah. that makes it sound like this kind of went the way it was supposed to in terms of the doctor stopping it. And I think I think when uh, when when Mike says like, oh, he looked really bad, he didn't look his face didn't look that bad until he came back to the after the end of the fourth is where they kind of got away from the cage, and then that's really where you saw like, oh, Brian Ortega's eyes fucked, and already in the second round his nose was busted. I mean, honestly for me it was like that second round it looked pretty bad because of all the blood that was spilling out of Brian Ortega's nose. Third round he came out to clean him up, he looked fine. He didn't really look that worse for the wear. And the third round was another tough round, but at the end of that round Brian Ortega still seemed very game. He was still very much in this fight mentally and physically. He could still throw hard punches. He was still able to defend himself. It's Towards the end of that fourth round, you started getting the feeling like, yeah, he's not. This is not an intelligent defense. He's still throwing back, and he's still a threat. But Max has just got this guy on lockdown. Yeah, and, we we pretty much learned the chin on this motherfucker is just on another level. Yeah, and, and and in the corner, right? Like you saw his face, and I think we were all saying like, yeah, this is a wrap. There's no, there's really no need for this guy who's pretty young in his career to go out there for a fifth round and take more punishment. We, we, we got all we needed to know out of this fight. We know who the better man is. We know that Brian Ortega is fucking unstoppable. But I think another thing too, Mike, that you, you might notice when you rewatch the fight for the first time, um, Ortega never goes down. There is not any exchange in here where he gets dropped to a knee or he even fumbles or he gets knocked on his back. The whole time he's standing, he's eating blows. He's getting bloodied. He's getting fucked up. But he never fell. There was never, and there was not even a lot of moments where it's like he didn't have great footing, right? There's a couple times where he's he's trying to walk back and he's eating punches, so he's getting a little stumbly here and there. But there was never that that moment where it's like, oh, he's on, he's doing the chicken dance, or he's his legs aren't underneath him. He was eating punches, but he still 
was coherent the whole time. So I think the stoppage was great. And I think even Brian and Brian said he didn't fight it. It, it was it, it was a very natural end as far as I'm concerned for a, do- a corner stoppage. It's like this guy has taken enough. Look at his face. He doesn't need any more. We 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 learned what we need to learn from this fight and we can go on from there. Fantastic yeah. fight though. Yeah, for a fight also where he got thrashed, um especially at the end. I did come I didn't come out of this thinking like you can't tell me a featherweight besides Max Holloway that I'd pick against Brian Ortega. Like, I still think the world... I thought he landed some good shots. Max Max is an incredible striker, but Max really also, like, does what he does knowing he has a very good chin. You know what I mean? He, like, he's confident enough to throw what he throws, so if he does get decked... Like, I remember Jose Aldo dropped him in one of those fights, and Max didn't give a shit, because Max knows he has a good chin. Um... He almost is like it's like a like a super like evolved. I mean, like he throws the way he he kind of reminds me like the like how advanced he is with the striking. It's kind of like the way BJ was, and I'm not just making the comparison because he's Hawaiian, but like how it was just like another level of technique. And Max has just taken that to a whole another fucking level. Um, just the way, I mean, he, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was just like tearing him <laughs> apart. Stefan, I know you picked against um uh, against Max, but I know you're big hard. You're you know. You could appreciate the sheer brilliance of his it, performance, yeah, and it, it's not at all for lack of belief in Holloway. It, it's it's like when I was cheeky and I picked uh, Daniel Cormier to beat Jones the first time. It's 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 not it's a cheeky because I like I just want to believe in it because I like the story of this other person rising. But it's not to take away. Um, and I'll reiterate some hyperbole that the two of you scoffed at uh, on Saturday night, but I believe it now more than ever. Max Holloway is the greatest featherweight of all time. All due respect to Aldo, look at their records and who they've beaten along their way. I get Aldo did it for a while. His run is not as impressive as always. Holloway uh, is just more defined, in my opinion. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I didn't mean this. I mean, I was honestly surprised it came out of his mouth. The more I thought about it, I understood it, and I don't think it's an unreasonable position to take at all. For me, it's Aldo and Max himself. I mean, maybe he's being diplomatic. He thinks it's Aldo too. Um. For me, it's because while they both have a long-ass list of scalps, Jose's just been fighting title fights. And, like, that's another level of pressure and preparing for a five-round fight versus a three-round fight. And I think it's a perfectly respectable position to take Steph that he Max is the best all-time. Um, I do like... By the way, this needs to stop where, like, someone says shit like this and then, like, you get, like, the people going back and forth and then some asshole goes... Man, Connor smoked the two best featherweights of all time. So then I got to listen to the Connor people argue with the Max people who are arguing with the fucking Brazilians. How about we just appreciate how good everybody is? Yeah, and I would just <laughs> say, I think, you know, I think you can you can raise both arguments, but, and I, I do go on the Aldo side just because being at top of the mountain is a lot harder than going up. When you, when you have that title in your sights, you're fucking motivated as a motherfucker. You know, and that's why, I think that's, I, I honestly think that's why Connor McGregor did so well because he was so motivated. He wanted all these belts. He had all these goals. That motivation goes. But once you get that belt and you start defending that thing a couple times, it's like, what else is there to do really? And I agree with you, Steph. Like when you look back at Max's the 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 record he's accumulated and the guys he's beaten, and you look at Aldo and he had some fights in there, like the Hominick fight, you know, like I think history morphs that picture a little bit over time. But I have to give credit to the guys that are at the top of the mountain. There's nowhere else for them to go. They just got a bunch of fucking motivated, angry motherfuckers coming at them day after day after day. And I think, you know, standing on at the top of the mountain is the toughest thing to do. And that's why I give a, a more credit to the champion that's been there longer, um, even if he hasn't had the uh, the scalps, as, as you would say. But I think 
it, it really is a thing where it's like Max Holloway. And Max will right be. There. He will yeah. be. I, mean, I don't know <laughs> if he'll be able to hold the title for as long as Aldo did. But I think at the end of his run, wherever it ends, you can look at those two records and see the guys that they fought and see how they did and be like, I, you know, in retrospect with, you know, how these guys have shaped out, how history has played itself, Max had the better, you know, he had a better run here. And he probably, I think, you know, time will tell, he might be considered the best uh, featherweight. It's just tough. It's really tough when you come off this awesome fight and they're just like, that guy's the best guy ever. He's the it's like, well, okay, hold on. We just got, you know, you just got nutted in the face. Wait for the honeymoon to end, and then let's reassess things after you know. Well, we I mean, have I mean, let, let's talk about where we're going here because I'm looking at the featherweight rankings here, and there's exactly one name on this list, maybe two, that I'm that I would want to see Max fight, and I don't think he's losing either one of these people. And I'm looking at Frankie Edgar, and maybe, like, no, not even. That's not even. Name. I was gonna say maybe, like, if Chad Mendes went on a run, or like. Maybe Moicano because Moicano is really good and doesn't get any credit, and he was beating Ma he was beating Brian Ortega's ass for two and a half rounds. But it's just Frankie Edgar, like. And after the fight, we have Tony Ferguson saying Steph that um, if that if Khabib is just not going to be around, he would happily fight um Max at one fifty five. Which yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, Thumbs up. <laughs> I, I understand they I understand they haven't fought, but. MMA math, I think, really applies here. As far as I'm concerned, the featherweight division was clear is was cleared out with Brian Ortega. Um, it's it, it's a thing. That's the thing about this legacy is why I have to crown him now. I don't think he's long for this division. The fights for him are every all the talk is about him moving to lightweight now and him entering this shit show that involves Poirier, Nate, Tony, Connor, Habib. Like lightweight's a goddamn mess, and we're about to add another like. You know, uh, to use Max's word, we're about to add another lion into that pit. Um, I don't need Frankie. I get it. You want to see it? Frankie's coming off of a loss. He's only getting older, and he got he got. No, he's coming off a win. A, is he? Well, His I mean, he fight was in Ortega. I thought he was coming off a win, isn't? He? Or I don't know. You could be right. Whatever. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, that said, I can see why. Do you re? In your honest heart, do you really want to see Frankie Edgar versus Well, I mean, here's the thing. Look, I mean, that offers I me no excitement in the little bit. Like, I would expect him to smoke him. It would only come down to can you smoke him faster than Brian Ortega did? Like, honestly, I, I thought it, it. I, I thought it was going to be a good fight. Honestly, I thought like when they were going to fight. Remember, they were going to fight before Aldo got the second matchup. I thought just aesthetically, I would enjoy watching it. But I'm at the point now with like, I don't think he's going to lose to any of these people. It's like the yeah. same reason. I mean, it's not like I mean, it almost. I mean, Max is more exciting of a fighter than who I'm about to mention. But like. Back about halfway through Demetrius's reign at 125, where you guys are like, he's not going to lose any of these guys. I'm at the point now where I'm just enjoying the man paint, you know, to put it in artist terms. Like, mm. if that's who he's going to fight, he's going to fight. And at least Frankie, at least, is one where I like, when Steph, you're making the argument that, like, he's the best of all time, because it made Max fight 20 motherfuckers before he got a title shot. So he fought all these guys. So, like, Frankie's literally like who he didn't fight. Like, I don't know how he didn't fight Chad Mendes. I don't even get how that happened. Just, like, law of, like, probability, right? Like, you think they'd run into each other. So it's not that I think Frankie could beat him. And I think we all recognize Frankie's on the, is going down, you know, on okay, some level. You're right. Frankie got that Cubs-Swanson fight, which didn't need to happen. That's right. He's coming off of a win, but still. Oh, I don't remember like, that even fucking just, happening. I don't just, remember it happening. So. Yeah. But, I mean, I think, like, if he's going to fight at 45, it's him. If we're just going to get him up, like, I mean, 155's crowded as shit. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not saying he's going to lose to Frankie or I mean or anything, but I think it'd be a fun fight. And 
beating a cha- beating a guy like Frankie always means something. So, but I think in the last year or so, what's become in vogue now is to try to get more jewelry at a different weight class, and I think that's where Max might be going after this. Um, he says anybody can get it, but. I think he's more interested in trying to move up. Maybe he could fight Connor at 155. That could be a fight that interests uh, Connor. That'd be a real. I'd love to see that one again. That would be. I would. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Connor beat him with a torn ACL, so I'm not sure. I mean, getting Connor to fight anybody a second time is that he already beat is really. I don't know. I don't think you're going to get him to do it necessarily. I, I will say what I want for Max above anything in terms of what's next for him is less to do with who he fights, but what he asked for. It's time for them to give him a car that he had lines in Hawaii. That was it. I was going to say, Stefan, that's all. That's where he needs to fight. Hawaii loves fighting. And the fact that the UFC has never gone there with this champion that they have right now, like that is a sold out house. And you, you've seen how BJ fans, PJ Penn's uh, fans travel. Like even when BJ is a shell of himself, the way his fans travel, the way they cheer, Hawaii will be a raucous atmosphere when they finally give them a show. Well, I me, mean, Steph. I mean, let's talk about it now. What's Bellator doing this weekend on back-to-back nights? Uh, I don't know. What is Bellator they're, doing? They're in fucking Hawaii. You wondered why? You wondered why? Like that? Like while we're talking about that champion, she is Hawaiian and she is main eventing a card in Hawaii. Bellator did it first. How? How so did they let that know, happen? How, how are these stadiums? Like, do they have a big? Because I mean, this is Bellator. This could not be a very. This could be a five thousand seat arena, and the UFC is like, they don't have a twenty thousand. I mean, arena where the hell does the fucking to. University of Hawaii play? I mean, look, they they have the Aloha Bowl. I get they're concerned about weather and shit, but I mean, they I mean, made motherfuckers. They made, they made, do they have they a made, venue that they could? Their um, the University of Hawaii's basketball arena can hold ten thousand. I'm just putting it out there. They made people fight in Abu Dhabi when it was 103 degrees outside. They can deal with whatever's going on in Hawaii. They got like a billion dollars in the literally like the the country. I mean, look, I think honestly, it wasn't because like, oh, I'm just saying Bellator found a way to do it and they're doing back to back shows. So Bellator doesn't matter if they have a 5000 arena because they have to they have to give away. It's a pay-per-view. They're making it's a pay-per-view. They're making all their money on fucking anything on what's it called anyway on pay-per-view. And they're going to and if and if and and they just put they'll put Shella BJ Pan as the co-main of. Event, and they'll charge four hundred dollars a ticket in Hawaii. They'll sell yeah, it out. Does the UFC even really make any money off of the the, the gate? I mean, you see the gate. The, U- the, like the UFC is taking eighty percent of the revenue. They're making money off everything. Look, they can if they have a small arena, they'll just charge a shitload of money. Just do yeah. that. Ten thousand three hundred. It, it's smaller compared to some of the things they do, but it'll sell out. It I'm just saying that out. might be. And, and you know, the, the Hawaiians go. they wouldn't mind paying uh, an inflated price because, from what I hear, everything is super expensive in Hawaii. The Stan Sheriff Arena is holds eleven thousand three hundred people, wherever the fuck that is. So That's they can the do it there. Of Hawaii's. Uh, oh, there we go. Arena. I think I think basketball is ten thousand three hundred. So I think you can probably fit another thousand. Modify it. Oh yeah, you modify it without the court, so yeah. you can add more on the floor. No, Steph, I'm on the same page as you. I think like the fact that they got they got to find a way. I mean, I get that they can't find a way to put Connor in Croke Park because of a curfew thing, but for the love of fucking god, like, I mean, this is they went to Argentina already. Nothing yeah. against Argentina, but it's far. Okay, let's talk about the rest of this thing. I mean, I, I mean, I want to see Max for Max versus. You can put him against anybody. I'm interested in the fight, to be honest. At this point, he's that good. But I mean, if he wants to jump into 150, I'll begin to that mess. Sure, but if I maybe ride it out a little bit longer, 
Wait for some of this it thing would, to pass. It would be nice if he fights maybe once more at 145, maybe against a guy that we know he'd be pretty confident he'd win, and we put that fight in Hawaii. Give him like a like a showcase fight in his home state. Um, co-main event: Valentina Shevchenko and Joanna Janjacek. I went back and watched this again after you guys went home. Um, trying to figure out what round that was. <laughs> um, first of all, um, it was somehow more dominant the second time I watched it than the first time because Joanna didn't do anything like at all. Like Joanna was like, Joanna was fucked like three minutes in, and like. Valentina is a lot of times she does the same thing I feel Mighty Mouse does, which she gets criticized for. Where like she knows she's winning, so that's it. You know what I mean? So like she was ahead. Yuana didn't know what to do. She was getting hit constantly. I mean, let's be honest. They they fought in kickboxing. Yuana lost three times. They went in an MMA fight. Yuana wasn't gonna grapple with her, right? Like. That was not a good idea. And then that we saw, been... yeah, like the only difference is, okay, like now it's an MMA fight, so you have the grappling element. But as we saw, and it, as expected, just because she's so she's bigger, Valentina's a better grappler. She's a better yeah. striker and she, a better grappler. She took, she pinned, well, she uh, armbarred, what's her name off bottom? The girl who won tough, who was a, a ferocious uh, uh, grappler on Leon top. Pena? Yeah, Vol Violino Pena is a damn Tasmanian devil on top. And Valentina tapped her out off bottom, so... I don't know what people expected Joanna to do in this one. Like, she was a massive underdog. So I didn't come out of this thinking necessarily less of her. If, she, by the way, if she, but the only one part, Steph, we talked about it, where like, Joanna was acting like she won at first. But then she went full, as you put it, Clay Guida, right? She put the Clay Guida, where like, as they're reading the decision, you're hoping, maybe I got it, maybe I got it. But as soon as you're announced, you concede. So that's yeah. what we were hoping for. She. She, she, like we said, we've called her Joanna Weiner uh, as a chokingly thing, but she's been historically a poor loser. Um, I think this one was pretty undisputable, and she acknowledged it as such. I do like that she said she's not going back to 115, because while Valentina's bigger than her, Joanna always looked like she was goddamn killing herself to get to 115. Like, I think she should stay at 125, personally. I like. She also she's lost two title fights at 115. It's tough. She's kind of in that Rich Franklin mode where she's perfectly suited for in between. Like, I mean, Marcus, she didn't get finished, right? So, like, if she can like string enough together, and look, I'm looking at the rest of this weight class. If Jessica I is about to get a title shot, uh, Joanna will be back. So, I mean, they could probably sell these two fighting again as one sided as it was, as long as it's not the main event. It'd be tough for me. It really would. Um, I mean, this fight. Did not show me anything that Joanna had for Valentina. I mean, we wrote, we were just, you were literally just talking about before the fight. It's like, yeah, she already beat her three times coming into this. There wasn't a lot of hope. Watching this fight, she was, my main question for you, Bobby, and I literally asked this when you're talking, what round did she win? Because we watched I, it and we're like, what round did everyone oh, I wanted to look, let me, Joanna let me, won that Oh, fight. I didn't look this up. Let me look this up because we all watched the fight and we're like, which round did you want to win? How did where's that? There's definitely a couple that Valentina, like Bobby was mentioning, she was just so far ahead. There was nothing. She definitely took some rounds where she was not being as active and as damaging. But I never saw a round where I thought Joanna was in control of the fight, doing damage or anywhere close to winning any of the rounds. Of course, you know we, we were with friends drinking and eating pizza. I wasn't paying the closest attention. I did not rewatch the fight. So there could have been a round in there where maybe she landed some punches and Valentina literally did nothing. But I it I think when I looked, I, they don't have the official judges scorecards, but when I was looking at Sherdog, um, we thought the they, fifth. 
I think Sheridan gave her the fifth. I think uh, the guy from Bloody Elbow, Tim Burke, gave her the fifth, which I don't. I just think it was less dominant. Yeah. And I, I was, mean, and anyway, like like you said, Bobby, if if Joanna sticks around in flyweight, can she get another title shot? I mean, yeah, she she can win enough fights where it's undeniable that she's a number one contender, contender, and they have to put this fight on again. But if they do a Valentina Joanna two, I'm not excited. In the yeah, league. no, I mean, I mean like, and let, Joanna has to make a huge leap. In she got, she's got to ice all these girls. And, and it's it got to be like, it's got to be like Benavidez when Benavidez knocked out like five people in a row to get another shot at Mighty Mouse. It would, it would have to be like she submitted these girls too. It would have to be a new skill set because I've already seen these two girls fight once and had three kickboxing matches. I don't see Joanna making strides in her striking enough to to convince me that she's better than Valentina, but she starts pulling off some weird slick submissions like, oh, this is a whole new game. She has to show a new wrinkle in her game to get me excited personally. That doesn't mean that she can't do it. That doesn't mean she can't get a rematch and even win the fight, but I'll, I'll be a naysayer until I see her arm. That's totally fair. Um, Mike. On, uh, oh. oh, sorry, Seth. Sorry, Seth. Go I ahead. was going to say, on behalf of Joanna, the one thing I would give her a potential chance of something that could help her is not necessarily a submit, you know, the grappling wrinkle, um, because one of her kind of caveats as a fighter is, and this is what I picked up from the embedded a week before this fight, she said she was walking around at 129 which tells me and it shows she has room to put on muscle mass. And if that muscle mass can give her more power, because that's what she lacks, right? She's a volume striker, but she doesn't have enough power to actually take you down with one hit because she's not getting volume on Valentina. Valentina is way too good of a counter striker. Can she actually develop power to make those one strikes count? Um, but, you know, kind of like what Mark's saying, I think Joanna's unfortunate. She's in a very unenviable position. She's probably the second best fighter in two weight classes. You know, it's interesting. I think I'd have an easier time. You'd have an easier time convincing me to watch Valentina fight Nunez a third time because oh, both of yeah. those fights were so close. Honestly, Valentina's oh, already yeah. talking about it. Oh, yeah. That's what you she say, wants. You say so close, I say wildly unsatisfying. The second one, Valentina really gave the second one away, I thought, man. She kept waiting for, I mean, I think she lost three, two, but still, I thought. She really gave that away. She could have really done more. Um, so um, Oliveira and Gunnar Nelson is worth watching, I guess, if you want to see Gunnar Nelson get on back on track, or you want to watch a man lose a pint of blood. I mean, yeah, we call uh, at Joe Stevenson, BJ Penn, and being like, "This was great. Could use more blood. This is the fight for you, buddy." Alex wait, Oliveira wait, was bleeding. Wait, 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 wait. Mike, Oliveira he was bleeding more more blood than Joe Daddy Stevenson. It's, I mean, it's got to be, it's just this vertical trickle. If um, we said when Damian Maya put the, had the choke on Rick Story, we called that squeezing the juice out of him. Uh, when he turns Oliveira around, it's like, what's that dude with the mallet to the watermelon? It's like, it was, Gallagher? It he was, was Gallagher. a curtain of blood that just poured out of this man's head. Um, that was, that was some visceral It was stuff fucking disgusting. When he was standing there and they're trying to put like his, uh, the, like the Vaseline and the fight's over already and like Paul Felder and Joe Rogan are like he can leave like let's get him to the back to a doctor we can stop the bleeding with stitches back there like what are we doing I mean <laughs> I might be wrong but I stand by what I thought I saw is I don't think Oliveira tapped due to the choke because before it was, I in, thought he, he was, was already ready to tap. I thought he, as he got turned around, he was just drowning in his own blood. That's what honestly drank, I bought it. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> he couldn't breathe. Yeah, um, Gunnar Nelson. Gunner needed that bad though. The blood aside, he needed that win. We forgot he existed. That was a big, big win. And Alex Oliveira is a really good fighter. So well, it, it had been a while since Gunner had fought, and uh, from everything I'm hearing, it's uh, it's good to know that there's a second fight in UFC history that has Ninja Scroll levels of blood in. Dude, it was so bloody.
Um, we're not going to talk much about this Hakeem Dawadu versus Kyle Bochniak fight because that's when we zoned out, to be honest. I was in the can for the first round. So yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was it. Um, I think I deserve some credit here because I don't think I've ever correct, more correctly predicted how a fight was going to go than Tiago Santos and Jimmy Manoa. I feel all my time watching these UFC fight cards in Brazil that end at like 11.30 p.m. Pacific time. It all came together for that moment where Tiago Santos decided to un, like unload every punch he had while Jimmy Manoa tried to land, count, land counter strikes for six minutes. I mean, it wasn't even just a punch. The most ridiculous sequence is uh, he swung in wildly and I think... Manoa tagged him with a counter, and then he then Tiago Santos threw this three kick tornado kick combination. Like he's just launching it like a pro wrestling move. Like that motherfucker is nuts in the cage. Yeah, that was, and uh, I like Tiago Santos's fights because of that reason. Like when they put on these nutty, these stupid ass cards that end so late, I at least know if Tiago Santos is at the top, I'm gonna see some nutty shit. Like he's just uh, gonna go for it. <laughs> possibly, possibly the round of the year. Um, I mean, there there have been some good rounds, but. This might be it. Mike, uh, you know that Simpsons moment when Bart and Lisa are going to fight and Bart's just swinging his arms and Lisa's just kicking? Yes. Uh, Tiago Santos is both of those things combined. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that it. Is, he, is, he is all nonstop kicks and punches all at once. It is. All right. uh, he's just a whirly gig of violence. Before we put this to bed, I'm just going to talk about these prelim fights um, real quick. Um, Nina Ansaroff, did, well done. She looked good. She looked good. I did see that fight. She she looked good. Claudia's not been the same since Joanna beat her the second time. Jessica Andrade beating her ass on top of that stuff, though. That helped, too, in this. But she has not been the same. Yeah, there's just... Um, it's tough to say what Claudia is missing. Um, and I feel it's kind of like Joanna. It's like, I don't know what they're going to improve that gets them back to that elite level. Um, but hopefully yeah. they find it. Um, good win for Gilbert Burns. Jessica I was really thought we were all going to be psyched about her getting a title shot after that shitty fight with Caitlin Kuchikajian. Um, Okay, maybe shitty isn't the right word. It was the right word. It was just there. The fight happened. They picked the winner. She's talked about Joe Rogan looking at her ass. I mean, that was maybe the most entertaining part. And um, real quietly, Elias Theodoro is... Uh, I, wanted to, I was looking this up. He's 8-2 and two in the UFC. And all these people have Wikipedia pages. And, like, they're all decisions. Elias Theodoro is just going to be around forever, guys. Hanging out as, like, an opening fight on the pay-per-view. I mean, like look. Brad Tavares with hair. I think uh, Valentina would fuck up Jessica I's world. I don't know if I need to see that, but if that's the number one contender. I mean, Marcus, I'm not saying it's going to look like the, like the last fight before this with Valentina, but I, wh what does Jessica I have for Valentina? Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, the division is fairly new and still building, um, so contenders might be hard to suss out until we get more girls in the division. They start getting fights, and we start building a narrative. So, you know, a Jessica I fight is, you know, in their own possibilities. But, yeah, again, it's not something super excited. I don't know if I've really seen someone in the in the women's flyweight division to really make me think, like, oh, this is a strong contender against Valentina, and this is a fight that I'm foaming at the mouth to see, you know, how these two girls are going to lock horns and how, you know, the fight's ultimately going to end. Um, I don't, she doesn't have that counterpart yet, but the division's very new, right? And we need to kind of yeah. fill it in with people and get them fights and start building that narrative. So we don't just have Jessica I who won a 29-28 split 
very unceremoniously is, you know, that's not that's not the kind of performance that's maybe like, yeah, th- this girl's championship material. She needs to get in there with Valentino right now. We don't have that contender yet. You know, hopefully in the months to come, one emerges. But if not, you know, Valentino will have to make do with what she's given. Um, but yep. hopefully we do see a contender come in because she needs to be challenged. I want to see her pushed. They should get some. Uh, they got to get some female fighters on this Dana White looking for Dana White contender series thing. They got a couple divisions they can load up with. Some well, they people. got Valentina's sister, but she's not going to fight her. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I always joke. I wish the, that the sister called out the other one. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Demo. That would have been hilarious. Um, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I'll throw this name out here because we're thinking she doesn't exist. And wait, 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 Steph. Steph wait, wait, Steph. I want to say, did you catch the moment of shade? Mike's all about shade. Did you catch Valentina's shade at the press conference? I know where you're going. I did not. Okay, so Brett Okamoto said, would you like to give a title shot to the first, like, what do you think about giving a title shot to the first ever flyweight champ? And then Valentina said, who is that? And then Brett Okamoto said, well, that answers my question. <sighs> That's rude. They're going to give her a title shot? The, cle- the more clever answer would have been, I can't fight myself. That's pretty good. But, okay, yeah, I'm lost. I'm like, stop, stop, I'm like, stop tiptoeing around it and just tell us who you Nico, are. Nico Montoya, man. Nico Montoya. Oh, okay, okay. She was, okay, because she was originally. Okay, I got you. I got you. Now I'm on board. I like Nico. Again, her whole career is being an underdog. Um, she'll take a hellacious ass beating if she can't win. So it won't be boring. And yeah, it's. I, I like her more than I, I like I as a contender. I think she's going to have to beat. One person. Just a guy? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Valentina says she wants to be real active. Valentina's been wanting to fight somebody for and like Eubanks seven months. is moving up, I believe, right? Even not that, she, not that she deserved it, but yeah. my understanding yeah. is it's just one less name. I think it's time for uh, Valentina. I think it's time for Jessica I to fight uh, Montagna. Well, we get that Roxanne Montefiore title shot, guys. I think it's time. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a slaughter, by the way. Valentina's on a different level than all these girls. I don't think any of these fights are close, to be yeah. honest. That was the best contender. You just saw it. It was somebody she beat three times already. In all likelihood, the person that dethrones Valentina, we don't know who they are yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then, just real quickly, because Diego Lima has been knocked out a lot in the UFC, it's nice to see him get a knockout. Oh, uh, apologies then if anyone took my betting advice. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the guy won in 97 seconds. Look, we've, um, we've seen him get knocked out a lot. So, um, real quick, let me see if there's, I mean, talk about any news. So, we kind of pieced this together while watching the show, watching the pay-per-view, how Dana White was criticizing Tyron Woodley and for because Tyron because they need a main event for the pay-per-view next month in January. Um, you guys don't have to like be geniuses to put this all together, but there is only one champion who can fight, who's available to fight on that card, and it's Tyron Woodley. And then Tyron Woodley today's like yeah, man, I'll fight, but I need to make sure my hand is okay. I broke it. So, also, Tyra Woodley's not a fucking idiot, and he wants to get paid. So, do whatever you gotta do, man. And the UFC can make up another fake belt if they don't want to pay him. Start off 2019. Start off to start off 2019 the way we're going on 2018. There's no problem. Ben Askren said he'd fight Kamara Usman for an interim belt. And I'm like, Ben, if you're not going to fight Tyron Woodley, what's the fucking point of you being interim champion? Like, what are we What are we doing? And also, you have a fight book thing as Robbie Lawler, so... Might as well make that for the interim belt. Dana White can't wait to get the belt to Robbie Lawler again. He fucking loved him. Oh, Ben Askren, UFC champion. That'll be a glorious day. Ben Askren has to comment on every motherfucker. It's impressive. Um, 
And then, um, yeah, I mean, we're not going to get into, honestly, Greg Hardy and Rachel Ostovich, what the fuck are we going to say? It was six days ago. And everything's gross. So, guys, go ahead and move on with your lives. Um, MMA history, um, was it December 6, 2014? I'd say that was the last time Johnny Hendricks was Johnny Hendricks. He lost to Robbie Lawler in a five-round war, Steph, but that was the last time he was Johnny Hendricks. I, yeah, I think uh, this is um, he would unfortunately shortly thereafter open this steakhouse, and uh, that was the downfall of Johnny Hendricks's career. Why do I need a nutritionist? I own a steakhouse, and I'm it was not- never quite the same from there. I know the ingredients here are good and full of fat. <laughs> Yo, the reviews after he missed weight every time were hilarious. Like their plastic <laughs> menus or... It was real. It's cheap. like it's I, like they it's like this person said it was an eight ounce an eight ounce steak, but all of a sudden I put on ten ounces. I don't know what happened. Shit like that. That made me laugh. You can't trust a restaurant with laminated menus. And um, in twenty eleven, December twenty eleven, I think my summary of UFC one hundred and forty goes pretty well. Frank Mir snapped Antonio Noguera's arm like a twig. John Jones dropped Leota Machida like a sack of potatoes. That's what happened. A lot of Brazilians getting beat up. I think Little Nog. American boys. I think Little Nog need Tito in the gut and pounded him out, maybe too. That might have happened on that card. The ones that stick out to you are Frank Mir breaking Big Nog's arm and then Machida getting a stand Machida getting caught in a standing guillotine. It's one of those times that someone looked like they died in the cage. The way he just dropped him, that's when you're like, oh, John Jones is a mean, mean man. Well, that was the famous Greg Jackson line, right? That was a uh, go get some fans. Go get some fans. Go see if the motherfucker's alive that you just killed. Um, we're making picks for UFC. I don't even fucking know what it's called. The last time the UFC's on Fox. Fox uh, thirty-one. Fox thirty-one. So they did five years. They did seven years, right? I don't know. Seven years. Uh, for sure. Seven years. Yeah. Seven years. And um, Kane was the best heavyweight in the world that long ago. Yeah. Um, headlined by a rematch between Kevin, the Motown, Motown phenom Lee, which I don't think anyone else on this podcast knew. That was his nickname. It's not a good nickname. Uh, you're lying. Al Iaquinta <laughs> facing against Kevin, uh, Kevin Lee. Um, they fought quite a while ago, actually. Um, and, uh, Kevin Lee, I believe who's his UFC debut, lost the decision to Al Iaquinta. Ally Quinto was much more he was much more hype behind him. This was really when Ally Quinto was on the Ultimate Fighter, it was really at the peak of all the um post Weidman knocking out Anderson. We all love that, you know, the whole Sarah Longo boom really. Um So um they're gonna run it back, man, and I think this on paper is a absolutely wonderful matchup. Um the betting odds here, Steph. What are we looking at? Uh, all I was going to say, on, uh, if you on paper you think a great matchup, on betting lines you don't think it's a great matchup because Kevin Lee is a minus 300 favorite. You know, honestly, Steph, I'm a li- I mean, okay, I'm going to put it out there right now. I'm picking Kevin Lee because I think they're both excellent fighters. I just think Kevin Lee's advanced more. And Al's always going in and out of fighting, and he's out here trying to fight the good fight about fighter rights, quite frankly, half the time. But Ally Quinta is an excellent grappler. And I think Kevin Lee's not going to necessarily have the easiest time getting him to the ground. Um, and if it's a straight stand-up fight, it's a much closer matchup, especially. Because Kevin Lee's a good striker. Ally Quinta's a good striker, too. That being said, over a five-round fight, 
I'm going to have to go with Kevin Lee. But if we saw all of a sudden get to round three and Kevin Lee hasn't gotten him down and Kevin Lee looks tired, I don't think anybody should be that surprised. So, But I'm going with Kevin Lee getting the win here. Steph, what do you think? I'm also taking Lee. I agree with you. Al absolutely has a chance. He's a very, very skilled fighter. Uh, you know, he, he kind of gave Habib one of the better fights he's had, um, even as, as one-sided it was. But kind of what I mentioned to you and why I just believe in Kevin Lee is, um, stylistically, I think he's the most interesting matchup for Habib. I think he, in terms of, like, as much as I want to see Tony, uh, I'm sure Connor probably eventually gets a rematch. There's just too money, much money there. But in terms of who do I credibly think might be a tough challenge for Habib, uh, I think of Kevin Lee. So um, I want to ride that train and kind of see where that goes. Um, I say this half-jokingly. I reserve the right to cancel this pick if he shows up with a visible staph infection again because that was awful. And I will forever associate that with Kevin Lee. That was fucking gross. Mark? Uh, yeah, I'm going with Kevin Lee, too. Uh, to be honest, I've never been that hype on him. Um, his, his fight with Tony was good. He had a recent win against Edson Barboza. Um, I like Al, but yeah, inconsistencies make me not comfortable picking him in this fight. So I got Kevin Lee. Mike? Kevin Lee has been the more active fighter over the last few years. Raging Al probably is making a killing on the real estate circuit. But, you know... Kevin Lee, he, the last fight he didn't look really good and was a fight he had a staph infection and really can't blame him too much for that. So I'm going to go with Kevin Lee on this one. Is that his last fight, period? No, the last fight he looked bad in. Okay, who did he beat up after that? Last fight, though. Who, did Kevin Lee fight after this? After that fight? He did, right? Habib? No. No, oh. no Kevin. Kevin. No, oh, he beat the shit out of um, Edson Barboza. That was, cool. a very, that was a beautiful performance. Um... Dan Hooker, Edson Barboza. Um, this is a, this is just a card full of like matchups between like a lot of guys on the come up. Quite frankly, uh, Edson Barboza's lost two in a row. Dan Hooker, on the other hand, um, you guys sitting here, people sitting here wondering what the odds are the way they are. Man keeps winning fights, and he's beating relevant good people um, on a four fight win streak. Steph, what are the odds here? Um, it's actually pretty close. Um, even though Dan Hooker is a slight favorite at minus twenty, and uh, Edson Barbosa is even money at plus one hundred, minus one hundred, same thing. Um, yeah, so s basically a coin flip with a slight nod to Dan Hooker. I'm taking Dan Hooker, but the part that, but the fact that Edson Barbosa having lost two in a row make, makes him a more dangerous to me because he knows his back is against the wall. And there's been a few times where people are ready to write off Edson Barbosa. And then he comes back and just smokes a motherfucker. But I'm going to have to go with uh, Dan Hooker on this one. He's looked really good. Um, knocking out Gilbert Burns in two and a half minutes is fucking impressive. He's 28 years old. I'm He's on the come up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with... That's a, I mean, I like his name as the hangman. So I'm going to go with Dan Hooker here. Steph? Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't mind your pick of Hooker because I kind of said is uh, the New Zealand fighters. There's something going on over there. Um, they're producing really good guys. Um, I'm going to take Edson Barboza, though, because Dan Hooker is a stand-up fighter, and the guys that beat Edson have grappling acumen. When you look at, when you look at him getting schooled by Kevin Lee and Khabib, it's because there is a clear hole in his game that he's never really been able to overcome. But when he fights stand-up fighters, he lights people up. He's got a win over Anthony Pettis, who looks fantastic again. You know, um, Barboza, he's, he's got a questionable chin, though. Um, I'll be, I'll definitely be nervous in this fight, but, uh, I like Barboza getting back to his form, fighting another stand-up fighter. Mike. 
Speaking to that questionable chin, Barboza was un once knocked out by a straight jab while Cerrone was backing up. I thought I was going to be alone with this one, or at the very least, I thought Steph would put Dan Hooker. I thought this would be a great area to, uh, to, to pick up a victory, but I'm actually going to go with Barboza as well. Uh, he's lost two in a row, so I think he's due for a victory. I think he'll come out guns blazing. And I think this fight will primarily be on the feet, which will be his forte. Mark, join me. Uh, you picked Dan Hooker, right? Yeah. Yeah, smell you later, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like Barboza. I mean, really, um, I haven't seen a lot of Dan Hooker's more recent performances, which have been his most standout. So just looking at the record, just like, yeah, he has a lot of wins. Good on him. He deserves this fight with Barboza. But you look at Barboza, yeah, he's dropped some fights, but... It, one of them's literally the guy headlining this card. The other guy's the current champion. Like you really run down the guys that he that have beaten him. They're champion caliber guys. Is Dan Hooker of that class? I'm not ready to say that yet. So I'm going with Barza. Rob Font, Sergio Pettis. Um, Sergio moved up to 125, which looking even better now. The division half doesn't exist. I think his last fight we saw him lose to. Uh, who the fuck was it? Um, the guy who always looks bored. Uh, Formiga. Uh, Formiga. Rob Font, the last time we saw him, nobody fucking remembers. Rob Font's not, not a terribly memorable man, but his last fight was when he got beat by Rafael Asuncao, which I was at this fucking fight. I don't remember it happening. So, betting odds here, Steph. Betting odds. Rob Font, favorite at minus 175 to Sergio Pettis' plus 155. Mike, what do you got? Never trust the Pettis. I'm going with Rob Font. Mark? Uh, I'm going to go with Sergio. Um, just don't have a lot of confidence in Rob Font. Um, again, it's just one of those things like I don't remember his, a lot of his fights. And the one time I do remember is I bet on him and he lost. So, love to bet Jason on um, I'm going with Rob Font. He won me money in Vegas. Uh, and I remember because one of my uh, things that helped get me a league going in this year was uh, when he knocked out Thomas Almeida. Um, Rob Font, he's got good hands and he comes out blazing. And I was a sucker and I picked Pettis in that last fight. That was the first time I ever picked Pettis and he lost. Don't pick the Pettis brothers. Well, Tony's looks good. Sergio is still a bum. Man, I really I really thought I would. Uh, you guys would all pick Pettis. That was kind of what I was banking on here, man. Because... Um... Pettis doesn't have power at 125. 135 is not much is not helping. Um I I, th I think he's gonna lose. And I think he's gonna get knocked out, personally. I got Rob Font. Um, Mike, you're keeping track of this shit? Yes, I am. Good man. Um, and we know what? We're just gonna run this one back too, man. Jim Miller, ally uh, Charles Oliveira. I remember their first matchup fucking distinctly. Um Oliveira had just beaten, um, <coughs> pardon me, he had just beaten um, the guy who won tough, Escudero? Yep. I think, yeah. He just fought Escudero, and then, like, people are just, people got all fucking high on him, because, you know, he just choked, he'd, like, he'd run through a couple people. I think he tapped out somebody else right before that with some nutty shit, and they're like, oh, let's put him against Jim Miller, and Charles Oliveira was really feeling himself, and tried to go to the ground with Jim Miller, and Jim Miller knee-barred him in, like, two minutes. Um, and people were reminded how fucking good Jim Miller really is. This is when Jim Miller was on that streak where he didn't lose for like, I want to say like nine fights or some shit like that before Benson Henderson showed up and, you know, served him his ass on a silver platter. Um, 
at any given been, point in time, there is a white MMA fighter who's won like eight to eleven fights in a row that just can't get a title shot because no one really cares mm-hmm. about them. That was Jim. Jim Miller was one of the early versions of that. I remember Jim Miller was talking about how like you know the WC guys don't know we're on a different level here, and this was when Benson Henderson was on the come up. So as you know, you guys talk about people on the come up like Jose Aldo and Connor, those guys. That's when you're just beating dudes' asses. And I remember he just beat the shit out of Jim Miller for 15 minutes. Like, it wasn't even a little close. Um, Jim Miller in this bet, in this one, though, Steph, we're doing it again. What's the odds? Um, yeah, the odds would say we don't care about that because we believe Father Time is undefeated. Uh, Charles Oliveira, minus 280. Jim Miller, plus 240. Um, I don't... I mean, is Jim Miller losing a lot? I'm not paying attention enough to Jim Miller these days. Jim Miller is one and four in his last five. He had a four fight. He had a four fight losing streak in which he probably could have been cut. Um, This is why by Dan Hooker in there too. This is why the odds are what they are. Um, I don't. Okay. Do it, Bobby. I'm not going first. Mark, you go. I'm not going first. Mark, you go. Um, I'll just pick Charles. Um, I was mostly leaning towards him to begin with. Um, I just don't know where Jim's at. Uh, you know, his, th- those four losses, there's some good names in there. Um, Dan Hooker being one of them, uh, Anthony Pettis and Dustin Poirier. Um, I don't know who Alex White is. So I don't know how great that comeback is. Um, Charles is coming off two wins, once against Clay, another against a guy I'm not familiar with. So I'm, I'm going with Charles, but I don't feel confident either way. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on this. Like, I would not bet money on this. If I, I wouldn't put Charles Oliveira as part of your parlay. I'm picking him, but I've seen Charles Oliveira fuck up so many fights. Like, there's been so many fights that Charles, Charles Oliveira should have won, too. It's not that he's losing the ones that he's supposed to, like, you know, he's not, he's not just losing the tough ones, but, like, there's been a few fights where I'm like, Charles Oliveira should take care of business here, and then, oh, nope, nothing. Okay. He, he's got nothing for this guy. Um, I'm man, he's been tapped out a lot too for a guy who's such a grappler. I'm I got Charles Oliveira. I don't like this at all. Stefan. Um, yeah, I'm taking Oliveira. I really wanted you to pick Jim Miller, Bobby, because you you, you, you wanted to relive the I'm history. so close. Uh, I'm so close. <laughs> Jim Miller is over 40 professional fights. His fight odometer is just way too high. Um Oliveira is still young. Um, so I just I agree with the betting line. It's 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 a father time pick and I like Oliveira. Man, we got a three-way tie at first place. I'm the one out here throwing my, my going with the Dan Hooker thing. I can't be the only guy that's rooting for the I can't just be like picking all the random white guys. I mean, somebody else has to join me in these things. Mike? <laughs> it's still amazing just how young Oliveira is considering how long he's been in the UFC. Just goes to show just at what age he uh, he first came up. He's only uh, 20, he's only 29 and he's had he what he's had 33 professional fights and t- fucking yeah, I, I think one of them first, been in the UFC. I think his first UFC, in the UFC was when he was uh, 20 years old, uh, give or yeah. take. Um, yeah, I mean, father time is, is undefeated. Uh, Jim Miller had his time when he was a, a top five, uh, you know, lightweight or featherweight. And sadly, that time is a uh, passes by. Uh, the sun has set on his uh, his time as a top contender. So I will go with Charles Oliveira. He's been on Charles Oliveira has been around so long because the UFC debut was on versus Joe on the Jones versus Matyushenko card. Mike's Ooh, on, I Mike's saw that one. Them. Mike's trying to remember what the fuck versus was. <laughs> you Matt and me watching. Very man. Uh, we, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> that was my guy, man. I was all about Matyushenko. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're not picking it, but I want to give a shout out to uh, one of my personal favorite fighters on this card. Big underdog. Uh, he going to lose. That is King Bobby Green. Uh, do you know anything about Drakkar Klosa? I think I've heard his name enough. Here's, here's, I, I looked him up for being a minus 280 guy that I've never heard of. If you had to guess, where this, if you had to guess where this man is from, what would you say? Drakkar Klosa. Germany. Try Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his middle name is just Don. I need your middle name Don after your first name is Drakkar. Well, that's America for you, baby. You know, your parents are immigrants. They're going to name you some immigrant shit. They named him after, I don't know, is there some cologne? That's the word Drakkar in it or something? Drakkar Noir. That's why I made yeah, that, we, that, that joke. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, Daenerys says Drakaris when she wants that dragon fire. Um, Robert De Niro named this kid Colosulo. You know, it happens. Yeah, I, I think Bobby Green's going to lose. I, 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 the, the, the betting lines agree with you, but man, I love Bobby Green because we barely ever get to see him fight. If it's not an injury, it's just that man's life that kind of derails see, his fighting career. Um, see, I think at this point, Stefan, we say that, but I think he's fought a few times. He's just on a bunch of cards. We're not paying attention. He, to. he still gets injured a lot, man. Like he's he's had to pull out. I know that's fair. He's only had he's only had one fight in 2018. Yeah. But he fought, you know, fought twice last year. Bobby Green's fought four times since 2016. That's that's pretty good for Bobby Green. All things considered. I mean, that's the thing is he's on Fox. I'm not going to see his entrance, but Bobby Green coming out to Big Things Poppin' by T.I. is one of my favorite, most fun, like, fighter walkouts there is. Um, No one's going to get to see it, but I hope the man wins. Like I said, just a personal favorite. Um, Real quickly, I want to make mention of the Bellator cards that are happening because we talked about it earlier in the show how they have two cards happening. Um, One of them, I guess they're doing for the military in Hawaii, they're calling a salute to the troops, um, which is nice. Um, so they're just one's copying on the, like the UFC, pl- like the UFC playbook from. No, nah, they, they, st- they 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 stole that from the WWE. UFC did so. It's not oh. you know. Let's not give them too much fucking you know. Let's not to give the UFC too much credit. There's some not bad stuff happening on both these cards. So on Friday, we got um, Michael Chandler taking on Brent Primus for the lightweight title, which I believe Michael Chandler lost because he broke his ankle in the middle of the fight. Wasn't that a thing? That's my memory of this. Am I inventing this in my head? Does anybody remember? I think you're right. That was the Brent Primus? Have, yeah, there's a leg injury, so it probably was that. Yeah, cool. I remember. Because I mean, then, like, Brent Primus talked talk the world of shit for a man who won a fight because the other guy broke his leg. Um, Frank Mir and um, Joey Javi Ayala, is this, like, a alternate fight, or are they just doing this for shits and giggles in the tournament? Does anybody know? I think it's giggles. I don't think this is tournament-related. Tournament um, I think Marcus, we've seen Derek Campos fight a few times, if I'm not mistaken. The name sounds familiar. But he's gonna take on one of your favorites, Sam Cecilia. Yeah, this could be a good fight. I don't remember much about Derek Campos to know if he'll just stand and swing with Sam, but uh that's usually when Sam's most exciting. We'll we'll see if we get that. And one of the best young prospects in MMA, twenty three year old Antonio McKee Jr. Um I like I remember his dad didn't stop fighting that long ago, by the way. I'm just putting that out there, like like Antonio McKee, I think, was fighting in the UFC like three years ago. He had his one UFC fight. Antonio McKee Jr., though, is fucking awesome. He's 12-0. and 0. Um, They got him taking on a guy, 10-1 and 1 guy. So I'm assuming it's not a bum. So it's nice to see him finally trying to pull the trigger on one of these guys. Um, the other card, the following night, also in Hawaii, headlined by the Bellator's undefeated women's flyweight champion. Yeah, I can't say her name. 
Ilmalay, I don't know. Something McFarlane. Um, and she's taken on UF, former UFC championship contender Valerie Letourneau. Um, Valerie Letourneau, I feel bad for her, guys, because I think she wants, she, they needed a 125 pound division for her badly while she was in the UFC. And it didn't happen until after she was gone. That was, uh, rough. And Machida's, this is his UFC debut, right, guys? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's taken on former champ, Rafael Carvalho. Um, that's a tough fight right out the gate for the man, especially Machida's like 40 years old. Which I mean, one's Carvalho? I think in my head I was picturing Cavalcante. Carvalho, um, well, Cavalcante is Feijão. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. That's no, this guy, this guy, I think this guy, this guy's just been in Bellator for a while. Okay. Um, he had the single most boring fight I've ever seen in my life when he took on, uh, Melvin Manhoff. But all of his other fights have been pretty exciting, so don't know what happened there. Uh, we got the, um, Bellator Grand Prix still going. Grand Prix still going. Neiman, Gracie, and Ed Ruth. Um, this is the prospect matchup in this tournament. It actually is a little bit out of place given what everybody else, everything else is going on. Marcus, if I remember the bracket correctly, I believe the winner of John Fitch and Rory McDonald would take on this fight, would go on this fight. Yeah, I'm not I think sure they what to, the bracket was. I think they try to make it so Rory would. They try to get Rory to the end. I think they try to give him some get sort of some champion. Here. They're trying to give him some sort of champion advantage. Um, these both these guys are really good. Ed Ruth was a crazy good wrestler in college. Um, it's one of those like Bellator, you know, invested in some of these young guys, trying to see them start to pay off a little bit. And Marcus, one of your favorites is fighting King Muhammad Lawal. Uh, <laughs> got it. Going going up against a guy where I'm not sure. This guy's star could have fallen more for a guy with only two losses, Liam McGeary, because this dude was real hot shit, I remember. And it's, I don't, I know he lost to Phil Davis, and I'm not sure who the other one was, but no one's really talking about him anymore. I mean, Steph, do you remember, like, there was a hot minute where people thought Liam McGeary was going to be a thing. Um, I'm actually, I agree with that, and uh, this point is going to make, uh, so I'll be honest, I had some personal motive in not wanting to pick this Bellator fight. I would have picked Liam McGeary, and I did not want to die on that hill. Because uh, I like Liam McGeary. He, he's a good grappler, and King Mo can tire. When King Mo loses, it's just some wonky shit happens with that guy. He he can be way too tired. He cannot really fight. A lot of things happen in King Mo fights, but um, yeah, I, I like you know Liam. It could still be interesting. You know, like I said, it could also just be grasping at straws because whenever anyone's coming up at light heavyweight, when it's simply a new name that didn't fight in Pride previously. Like we we just get excited about it, so he was. He's also that. way he's also way older than any of you guys think he is. Yeah, I believe he is that. thirty. He is thirty six years old. Yeah, that doesn't surprise so. me because when I sign that someone's in their twenties in light heavyweight, then I definitely believe they're going to be something. Look at Tyson Pedro, but uh, that man failed me recently. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Bellator. I, Bellator's had a few weekends recently where they're doing back to back fight cards. Um. Mike, do you have this? Do you do you have the zone? I do. I this one is exclusively on the zone. This one on Saturday, um, and the tribute to the troops one is on TV. So, what do you guys think is airing on Paramount Saturday night instead of this card? <laughs> is it going to be cops? I, it's not going to be cops. It's going to be an Indiana Jones movie or a Transformers movie, right, Steph? Come on now. Transformer movie? What? On on the Paramount Network. Oh, what's going to be Instead on? Of, like, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, one of the Expendables. Oh, that's a good guess. Um, that's another one. You know, any type of like C level action movie that had a bunch of sequels. That's up. Uh, that's probably there. 
You know what? I'm actually going to tell you guys because I'm actually legitimately clearly curious what oh, they're, they're going to air. I'm going to guess Star Trek. You got Star Trek? All right, let's see what we got. Uh, Friday. There's Friday. Sat. Oh, my God. Can I throw in Prince of Persia as a guest? Can I see what's going on? Can, can, what, why is this thing so fucking if broken? If All right. it's one of the mummy movies, I'll watch it. All right. No joke. At 1030 on Saturday, Expendables 2. Yes. <laughs> so I'm assuming they're just going to air it twice. I'm assuming it aired earlier. <laughs> that is incredible. What? Wow. Okay. Is that, um, let's do that stuff has, like. um, is that the one that has Bruce Willis in it? The second one? Yeah. Um, Rhonda and gang show up in three. Ah, none of them were good. Also, the I first th- one is the first one was fun, but also back to the uh, Bell- to the Bellator on Saturday. Is that the first Bellator main event where it's women? Mm, I don't pay enough attention <laughs> yep. to just to say. Th- well, I mean, this girl won the title somewhere, so I'd hope maybe that was on the main event. But I mean, for all we know, they you know aired it as the as the co-main event to Tito versus Ken. So, um, all right, let's do stuff we like um, and get out of here. I'm going to go real quick because all these guys are going to start talking about Smash Brothers, I think. Um, season three of F is for Family came out on Netflix. It's Bill Burr's cartoon on Netflix. I enjoy it. It's uh, pretty solid. Um, I think I've talked about it before. Basic premise is Bill, Bill Burr's childhood. Um, loosely, I'm assuming, adapted. If not, his dad was really, really cursed at him a lot. Um, Bill plays the father. Um, he's got a wife and three kids. Um, Justin Long um, is pretty funny, actually, as the oldest, the teenage son. Uh, he's, his voice he does is pretty funny. Um, solid show. Um, I'm about halfway through the season. I think it's like a 10 episode, maybe 12 episode season, but it's uh, pretty solid so far. Um, Mike, what do you got? Uh, for me, it is uh, long, meticulous uh, research. Uh, this is in regards to Robert Moeller. He finally came out with uh, <laughs> some se- last week in regards to Michael Cohen. He released some more of the information as to what's going on with Donald Trump. Pretty sure most of you already know what's going on with there. And uh, man, guys, we may actually see uh, an impeachment of a president in our lifetime. This might be some big stuff. It would never let it get that far. He's going to cut that Ford-Nixon deal, man. And then he'll fly off in a helicopter never to be seen again. You know what? I, I really like the part where, like, he was going to hire Pence's chief of staff as his chief of staff. But, like, the word, like it started getting, like, the rumor started got there, getting out there. So the, so the guy goes on Twitter and says, hey, guys, thanks for all your time, Trump administration. I'm leaving in three weeks. I'm going home. <laughs> so <laughs> that's an interesting approach to turn down the job. Um, Marcus. Uh, yeah, I got a handful of things, um, and we'll leave Smash for the end. Um, last week, I mentioned the Game Awards were kicking off on Thursday. Uh, I've watched all the Game Awards. This was the best one so far. Um, so far, Jeff Keighley is kind of a one-man show. He hosts it. He's the producer and director. Um, and this award show was the smoothest, less cringeworthy of all of them I've seen so far. And there were some really fun announcements. They had a great trailer for... Um, uh, Mortal Kombat 11, which had a really fun reveal regarding the the Game Awards, and then um, their big showcase, the big one that they ended off uh, ended the um, the show with, was they revealed that Joker from Persona 5, the main character we play in Persona 5, is going to be the first DLC character for Smash. 
Um, so the awards ceremony was great. Um, they had some really fun uh, musical performances and had an orchestra that played music for all of the uh, Game of the Year contenders. Uh, then, uh, then on Saturday, Kind of Funny ran a showcase. Um, that was pretty interesting. They mostly showcased uh, smaller indie games. There was definitely some interesting stuff that they showed during that press conference, some new indie games, uh, but nothing too crazy uh, to really mention here. Uh, I didn't want to mention uh, for games uh, this week, this game called Desert Child comes out for Switch and PS4. It looks really cool. They had a trailer during the kind of funny game showcase that was super inspired by Cabo Bebop. So that's a good thing to pull from when you're trying to draw in a customer like myself. Um, and then before I get to Smash, I did want to mention, and it is MMA related, so I know you know it's supposed to be outside of MMA, but have any of you guys heard of or seen any of these Fight in the Age of Loneliness videos that uh, SB Nation has I been doing? Have, yeah. Did you watch all cool. of them, Mike? I have, I've watched like two or three of them. Okay, so it's a five-part series. I'm pretty sure it's a five-part series, and I think I've watched the first four, and I really recommend it. It is a good, fun documentary, little mini documentary, I guess you could say, um, that kind of goes through really chronicling mixed martial arts in following the narrative that basically led to the UFC. So we're, we're following um, the origins of judo that ultimately led to um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that led to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, that led to the Gracie starting the UFC, that led to you know MMA, how we know it today. They do talk about pride a little bit, um, and, they, and they get into the modern era. I think it, I really enjoy the documentary series. I think it has a lot of fun, interesting factoids. Um, if you're getting into the sport or interested in the sport, then there comes a double-edged sword where they kind of interject their own commentary or their own opinions into it which i think is okay but sometimes it doesn't really align um and some of the language that because it comes off as a very serious fact-based documentary but then they throw in weird kind of colorful language that i think sometimes really helps the documentary make it feel more personable to the person that's doing it but other times it just makes it seem like it's just trying to be more like i don't know edgy and millennial when it says like in this fight this guy got the fuck beat out of him it's just like okay you're 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 cutting a very certain tone and then you're undercutting it with kind of cursing and kind of language that, you know, 20 year old somethings would use, but not in the vein of this. And there's some parts where we're saying like, oh, you know, mixed martial arts was really popular because because it talks a lot about the political side. What's going what's the what the poli- political climate is in the United States or Japan while MMA is coming to fruition or slowly dying down and a lot of times they kind of paint the mma fan as someone that just likes to see dudes with tattoos beat up each other and it's like well you laid down all this groundwork about how it's about mixed like uh, how it's about martial arts but then you're talking about like how people who like it just like it because it's two dudes beating the shit out of each other and it's like there's more to it than that you're kind of putting your own spin on it which i don't agree with but overall i really enjoyed the series um, and then lastly, I'll we'll, I'll just talk about Smash. Um, you know, the the last heavy hitter for this year's Game of the Years um, was Smash Brothers that released on Friday. I've been playing through it. I've been enjoying it immensely. I'm not. I would not consider my, myself a Smash uh, player or someone that's super excited about Smash. I don't even get all the Nintendo systems, so it's rare when I get the opportunity to kind of dive into a Smash game. And I've really been enjoying Smash Brothers Ultimate. I think the the biggest hook for me is that the biggest hook for the game is that it has all the characters from all the previous Smash games and new characters they added. And the real hook for this game for me is that you start out with pretty much the original eight 
and you're slowly unlocking them. And that's kind of been the carrot on the um, the string that has been leading me to play it so much is that I want to unlock all these characters and get to play as them and kind of mess around with them. My fear is that when I unlock everybody, I beat everyone's classic mode. When I do pretty much all the single player stuff, there's not going to be much drive to continue to play this game. I'm really not interested in playing online. Steph and Bobby, we don't really get together and play competitive games anyways, and I don't even know if Smash would be that game that would bring us together. So I do wonder about its longevity once I kind of unlocked everything and kind of unpeeled the game as a whole. Everything has been completed. Is there more to kind of keep me going? I honestly don't know. Um, I enjoy the game, and I think it being on the Switch and it being a system that I can kind of pick up and play as a side distraction to something else, I'll, I think I will continually go back to it. Also, the DLC announcement of Joker from Persona is a huge boon because I feel if they can at least keep that going where they're going to constantly be supporting the game with more characters and they keep up the caliber with guest characters from games like Persona, um, that is really interesting and appealing to me. If they can keep that up and there's more than just this first season patch, I could potentially, at the very least, come back to try out those new characters when they release. Um, but yeah, well, overall, Mark, I've been really... Don't, don't you, Mark, don't you find it kind of weird? Because I know... I mean, I haven't played Smash, I think, since, like, the GameCube. But I've always thought the characters in Smash are characters that are famous for being on the Super Nintendo. Or famous for being on, on Nintendo. And from what I remember, Persona has never been on any Nintendo system. So with the last Wii U game, they've been bringing in third-party characters. And some of these characters have never shown up. Um, and, and the biggest one's Cloud. Final Fantasy VII, to this day, it's finally going to come out on Switch, has never been released on a Nintendo platform, ever. There have been Persona games on Nintendo platforms. They're not the big Persona. They're, there's a game called Persona Q2. It's like a mystery dungeon. And I guess Joker technically is in that game. But what it seems, what the narrative that they're kind of stringing along is that we'll get third-party characters that don't even have anything to do with um, Nintendo anymore. This is really just about video games as a whole, and there's been lots of talk about getting Master Chief, who obviously has never been on a Nintendo system. Uh, Marcus, what was the name of the computer game where it was everybody versus everybody, and you could play as Tom Hanks? Uh, well, that is... Uh, oh, shoot. What was that stupid thing called? Oh! Stupid thing. It's the inspiration for Smash Bros. No, it's clearly. not, because Smash Bros. was before <laughs> it, and it, it's not licensed or anything. Um, I know. I'm uh, kidding. I'm totally blanking. Um, because it's, it's you hit a motherfucker with you got mail. Oh, Mugen, Mugen, yes, Mugen, yeah, <laughs> Mugen is basically a software system that you can basically, I guess, it's fairly easy to take two D fighter sprites and throw them in there, and then people can make their own. And yeah, I mean, Mugen is really fun. It is really cool if you have a, you know, if you're capable on a PC downloading a Mugen roster with all literally all the two D fighters and fighters that people have made. The game is fucking unbalanced as shit like you don't get it for competitive play because it's insane but it's really fun uh i didn't mean to derail you sorry <laughs> no just real quick I, since you brought it up i typed in mugen when i was figuring out the name on google the first image i see is tiger woods pinning ronald mcdonald while tom hanks cheers him on and that's what mugen the fighting game is yeah i mean literally i, I gotta look this up yeah, Mark, Mark, I would literally watch Mark hit a motherfucker with "You Got Mail" and like "Sleepless in Seattle." Like it was just movie titles and like he's, posters he's going across the screen. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was excellent. I mean, Mugen's actually really fucking cool. Um, I always like that, but it is something that it's not balanced at all. So it's fun to fuck around with, but it's not a game that you can really sink your teeth into. Um, Smash Brothers is balanced. I've really been enjoying Smash. Um, 
like I said, I just don't know how long the legs it's going to have. And, and really, it's just how I consume video games. I'm not someone that plays one game for an entire year. I'm not someone that plays one game for more than like two or three weeks. I'm kind of the flavor of the moment. I'll always buy the games that interest me, and I'll always give those a shot. And the games that take a long time, like Red Dead, I'm still working through. I haven't given up on it yet, but a lot of times games end up on my back burner, and they drop off, and... You know, Smash Brothers has to contend with that. And next year, when games like Resident Evil 2 are coming out, and Anthem, and Devil May Cry 5, there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. It's very easy for me to imagine Smash Brothers getting put on the back burner and then ultimately getting forgotten about. But with the release of characters like Joker, if they can keep that pipeline going, I will definitely be buying these DLC packs. And that'll be a reason to bring me back in, if only to try out that character, do a classic mode run with them, and then call it a day. Um, but that's intriguing enough, and I've been enjoying the game. It's worth the price of purchase. Um, the roster is insane. Uh, unlocking people is really fun. It, it's always been a good um, carrot on a stick for me. Is just you know beat this mode, get to fight this character, beat that character, get that character, rinse, repeat, literally to almost eighty, and then you know that's going to be a good twenty hour time sink. And by then I'll probably I might have my fill of Smash. Who knows? But I've really been enjoying it so far. I'll tell you this, Bobby. When you finally get it, unlocking the characters. Um, if you want something that's going to make you feel bad about your video game playing ability, oh man, sometimes these new characters, when they challenge you, they light me the F up. And it's like, <laughs> like, dude, I, so, so, I'm not good at video games. I mean, it's sometimes, <laughs> as, as I was talking to Mark about it, the funny thing about the, you know, every time when you complete a mode, um, that's how the characters unlock, you'll get like, here comes a new challenger and there'll be a silhouette. Um, sometimes they just stand there and they let you knock them out right at the stage. And I told Mark, sometimes they come at you like they are competing to be uh, on Evo. And I, I, I got perfected by uh, Pit, if you know who that character is. Him with his angel wings and his reflect, he just lit me the F up. Um, I, I feel bad. Uh, our friend Eddie, he also has been uh, finding the difficulty a little bit challenging, but I think that's just where we are as video game players. Um, I guess it's my turn. I'll just chime it in real quick. Uh, I agree with Smash and all that, but I can't let it go without saying uh, we got the Avengers trailer this week, and fuck, that's all I want from it. Um, I don't need another trailer. This is all I wanted to see. It's all emotion. It's no action. For people who want more, I think that's really weird. It's a fucking teaser trailer, but I think that's all this movie needed. Um, I was always going to see it. I'm always hyped, but I really loved the tone of it. Um, I just liked seeing like, oh, we're just kind of in this emotionally sad place. Um, you know, it we got Captain Marvel in the middle of this podcast last week, by the way. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Um, I was in the middle of the show. And uh, I was also really excited about the Godzilla trailer that came out today. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, and something else that you can watch now that I watched recently. Um, uh, we, you know, pro wrestling comes up from time to time here. Um, and it was just on my feed from recommended. And I ended up watching. This uh, two-part mini-doc on the history of the Bullet Club um, from New Japan's uh, page. I watched that. Yeah, I enjoyed it just because these are recognizable faces. Uh, most of these guys have either gone on to go join like the, the big bad WWE or they're guys that I've heard of. And, you know, for someone who doesn't follow wrestling that closely, the fact that these guys ended up on my radar at all... Uh, to me, it says that they've been doing really, really big things in the industry, and I thought it was a fun little, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes, so, um, you know, it's like a ba, 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 bullet club. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sweet-ass gimmick, um, and it's a cool shirt, but if you're not a wrestling fan, it kind of makes you look like a right-wing gun nut, so. This is why you buy the Kenny Omega one. 
All right, you buy the cat like I do. I have the Kenny Omega shirt. It's looks like space. Yeah, you look like that, that that Bullet Club. It's a really cool gimmick and team, but that T-shirt it makes you look like you're in some militia in Alabama. One of the guy, one of the it was one of the most recent shooting. I forgot which one. There's so many. He wore that shirt, but I remember. No, I didn't. Okay, but I was. I, I, we went. Uh, I went to get a pizza, and the guy was wearing a Bullet Club shirt, and I told him nice shirt. But then I was just like, this is a real questionable choice today. There's a big machine gun on your shirt. That's bad call. Well, I didn't mention it. We went to Hood Slam, and um, yeah, I look fun. Hood Slam is fun. If you ever visit the Bay Area and you're there at the on the first Friday, you do you're around for First Friday, which is uh, first Friday of every month in Oakland. You can go to the Oakland Metro Opera House and watch some weird shit, man. Um, I realized this was like I was talking. Mark, I mentioned this today. We were talking about like. One of the most Bay Area fucking things happened is when the announcer goes, the, the MC goes, uh, which is, you know, Brosif Joe Brody, um, said, he wa- he's like, we want you to have a good fucking time smoking that green, you know, here at Hood Slam. But if you're smoking cigarettes, get the fuck out. And I was like, yeah, this is, that is some Bay Area shit right there. Get out of here with your cigarettes. Enjoy your weed. Um, just a giant cloud of weed smoke. Around a small wrestling ring. Um, thank you to the Banana Man for liking my tweet. And uh, it was tough to see him go out there and lose. That was disappointing for me. Thought the Banana Man was going to get it done. And um, Link was a commentator. If you guys don't know what Hood Slam is, none of this means anything to you. Um, we've talked about it before. It's kind of like adult-themed pro wrestling. With a bunch of like ridiculous characters like... Stefan, who's your favorite? Uh, you I mean, it's, not, it's, it's not a character. That's my favorite. It's, it's been a while since I've gone. My favorite thing about Hood Slam is a chant. And uh, mm. the more ridiculous it gets is when the crowd starts chanting, this is real. Oh, yes. That's really what it comes down to. It's a suspension of belief. Just have fun with it. Um, yeah, it's just a place to get trashed and yell at people doing uh, this amateur, comma, pro wrestling stick. And Marcus, our streak continued. We did not make it to the end. No, I mean, it's it, it's a long show. And I mean, it doesn't help when we got there an hour before we actually had to. But yeah, that was our bad. In, I mean, you're, you're standing on a concrete floor and you're surrounded by people smoking. Weed, you know, I mean, that, that could be your dig. I mean, I'm not against that at all. But you're standing in that environment where it's very smoky. And, you know, there's a lot of people in front of you. You can't see, you know, a lot of the action because there's so many people. It's a really fun time, but it's also a time where it's like eh, after an hour or two, it's like I got my fill. I had a good time. This was a good outing. Let's pack it in. I've never been compelled enough to stick it the whole way through. And I remember one time I went by myself and I was like, you know, I'm going to stay as long as I want. I think I made it to like 1130, but I'll still like there's like another hour of this stuff. I'm just done. Well, I, you know, I, I have fun. This was good, but. The last time, the time before this, we went. I think me and Stefan were done because we couldn't go back inside. It was too hot. We well, just, yeah, it, it was. It, it was too hot. Slightly more pleasant temperature wise, where we weren't, you know, just sweating uh, constantly. But it was. It, it's a lot of people inside of a, a warehouse, and there's dudes wrestling. You know, it's going to get hot. It's going to get stank. Um, but it's really the, the whole thing that makes Hood Slam work is just it's the vibe. You know, everyone's there to have a good time. They, li- I mean, there's literally rules saying keep your, you know, leave your fucks at the door. This is about having a good time, and it, it really just it has that kind of community that they foster where it's like, look, it, we like pro wrestling because it's big, it's fun, and it's silly, and guess what? We know it's big and fun and silly, so we're just going to lean into it, and like Steph said, 
um, the chant that this is real just really makes it fun because we, we didn't when we were there we didn't get to see a lot of the the really crazy stuff but the only one that kind of kind of nut kind of touched on that is there's this one guy who's incredibly small and they pretend like he's extremely big and mm. you know they 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 talk about it they sell you into it and you start cheering for it you just buy into it because it's for wrestling we're here to have a good time oh yeah what do you what do you got the guy up for what do you what do you grab the guy by the throat ready for the choke slam the whole crowd was like oh shit these got him ready for the choke slam that may be yeah sad. you just everyone just <laughs> buys into it you know we we all realize that this is fake it's all just for fun but we're here to be entertained and we're here to have fun so i i feel like a wrestling organization that really leans into that um, should catch on. You know, I really felt like Hood Slam could, you know, be more than it is right now. And it seems like it's growing. You know, it's definitely found its niche in the Bay Area. But I mean, they're doing a second show, right? They already announced they're doing I mean, all uh, female they said, shows. They're doing shows every Friday. And I know they yeah. they tour around the Bay Area too. So it's very much a local circuit. But, you know, as someone that isn't in into wrestling that much, and we've brought people that aren't into, you know, what you would consider to be professional wrestling in today's market. It, it, it's just, it's a show for everybody and you don't have to be into wrestling. All you have to, all you really have to do to have a good time is just go in there with an open mind and willingness to have fun and you'll have fun there. You know, if you come in and you're just, you're looking not to enjoy this or think it's stupid or dumb or you're above it all, you're not going to have a good time. You know, you have to let yourself get in the mindset that, yeah, this is silly and I'm going to be cheering at grown men wearing a banana suit, but it's Saturday night. Let's have some fun. You know, what are we doing? Exactly. You know, there's a guy dressed like Ryu. There's a guy dressed like Link. There's Zangief and player two Zangief. They're in there also. Um, Mike really wants to go. I know this. Mike, next time Mike you visit, you have to be at the beginning of the month so we can go to Hood Slam just for – it's an experience. And, yeah, man. And, you know, Mark mentioned, like, you know, to be a wrestling fan. I'm the biggest wrestling fan of this group we went into and I think Stefan's second, and I don't think Stefan's watched more than three minutes of wrestling in the last, like, unless I watched it with him. I don't know how much watch wrestling Stefan actually watches, and he's probably well, the second. I mean, I'll say it. Uh, if you want to be like me, I, I just go to this guy named Simon Miller on YouTube, and his tagline is, I watch wrestling so you don't have to, and that is exactly what I want. See, for me, it's uh, it's it's Ross from Cultaholic. <laughs> That's my guy who summarizes shit for me. Yeah, um, it's a good time, man. You should go to Hood Slam, and I think they're on Twitch. You can watch the Banana Man's match on Twitch, I know. Yeah, I think if you so. go to their Twitch channel, you can watch all their stuff. And I think on YouTube, they have stuff on YouTube. But I remember a while back, they actually had, like, another YouTube channel that you could pay, like, like five bucks a month. And you get to watch all the events live, too. Or, I need, like, the old events. Yeah, but honestly, it's one of those things you'd want to, like, I would rather be there. Like, it's one of those things. Like, you should go to it one time. It'd be awesome. Um, and if you drink, it doesn't hurt. Just because people are having a good time there. Um... Just a real side note, I felt like a real bitch um, because guy try. I, I was wearing my Bullet Club Kenny Omega shirt, and the guy, you know, the one of the merch guys starts to throw up the too sweet to me, and I didn't throw up a too sweet back to him, and he probably thinks I'm a fucking poser now wearing my Kenny Omega shirt, not throwing up two sweets. Probably he doesn't so I feel real bad about that. He knows it. He knows it. I felt so bad. I came back like oh, I fucked up the the only person to too sweet me, and I didn't throw up the too sweet. It's very disappointing. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Uh, there's no UFC card. Um, what? God bless. Yeah, we actually wow. have a break. Um, we have two weeks before um, the return of John Jones and Cyborg versus Nunez in what, quite frankly, is a pretty fucking stacked card. Um, we might actually talk a little about some of the uh, preliminary bouts that are happening on this one because not even on the pay-per-view itself, we got matchups like, you know, Katzengano, Megan Anderson, uh, fucking BJ Penn and Ryan Hall. Maybe we don't need to talk about that one. Um, and it's good to know Sayar Baharazada is still in the UFC. 
and Uriah Hall still in the UFC. And they're all, they're all, oh, Sire's opening this curtain jerk and fight pass. He better win. Um, Andre Arlovsky, yeah, this is a deep, deep card. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, see what comes out of this Bellator card. Um, we'll see if Kevin Lee, I mean, he, I don't know what else he has to do, but like, if he wins, is he going to get more of a title shot? He's still not going to get a title shot. So, <laughs> it's UFC lightweight division. People just keep winning fights and we just decide who the champion is, all right? Um, you just send Khabib location. That's my favorite Khabib meme, by the way, now. Send location. That's that's what I'm in for with Khabib at this point, okay? We've advanced past the bear stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back next week, as I mentioned. And peace out. See ya.